Well, if you have your Bible with you this evening, uh, join me in opening to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Our focus verses this evening will be verses 5 through 11. 5 through 11. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, pure and perfect truth is contained within your word. And we are thankful, Lord, that we can come and to open it, to, to consider it this evening. We pray, Lord, that that which we read, that that which we hear through the preaching of your word, would sit in our hearts and minds that you would write it deeply therein, Lord, that we would not be quick to forget it, and that we would be quick to act upon it. So, Lord, we pray for your Spirit's blessing and opening our understanding, even now, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible word of God written for you and for me today. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved, Simon Peter, the bondservant, Simon Peter, the apostle of Christ, wrote to troubled saints, even to us today, encouraging us with with what we had or what they had in common as children of the living God. What he desired for them, as well as what God promised to them in Christ. Now, if you recall, Peter wrote to those who had obtained a life precious faith with them. As Peter knew that Christ's apostles had a special calling and a mission from God as his sent ones to minister the gospel, to gather and perfect the saints. Peter wanted the people to know that the apostles weren't super saints that were on a higher level than the rest of their brothers and sisters. In fact, they shared something most wonderful in common. They were fellow recipients of the saving grace of God. And we too are the recipients of faith that is rare and highly valued, this precious faith, reserved solely for God's elect and chosen people. It's a faith that isn't earned or acquired by anything that we've done. 
It is a true and complete gift from God. Remember what Peter taught us. The preciousness of faith, as well as our obtaining it, is through the righteousness of Christ. Jesus' merit, his satisfactory obedience, gives faith all of its value. Christ's righteousness is of infinite value to those who receive it by faith. And now Peter's desire, his prayer, was what? It was that God's people everywhere would have and recognize the abundant grace and peace of God as they grow more and more in the knowledge of Christ. We are drawn to the scriptures, beloved. We are drawn to prayer as the Spirit works in and through his word to open our understanding. That, that we would know God's grace and peace more as we grow in knowing Christ more. Not only is it important for believers to know and grow in their knowledge and relationship with Jesus, but it is also important for us to better understand and take joy in the benefits that we have in our union with Christ. To better understand God's power and exceedingly great and precious promises to us as partakers, Peter said. As we seek to be faithful... In walking in godliness and holiness, having our redemption, um, uh, having in our redemption escaped the bondage, that we would no longer conform ourselves to the corruptions and the lusts of this world. And this is exactly where Peter takes us tonight, doesn't he? As he helps us to consider more about growth and grace and godliness in verses 5 through 7. As well as he speaks to the fruit and the knowledge of Christ in verses 8 and 9. And as a call for us to make our calling and election sure in verses 10 and 11. So look with me there at his words in verse 5 as he now begins to make a point about what he's just said. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Now, we'll stop right there in the list for a moment. But think about this. Because of our faith, because of the salvation and spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, because of the estate that is ours because of Christ, we are to be all the more committed and focused and diligent, Peter says, to show our faith to be a lively faith as we display more and more growth in grace and godliness as the Lord sanctifies us. Think about the care and attention that Paul exhorted Titus to affirm God's people in, in Titus 3.8, when he said, This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to what? To maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men, Paul says. But Paul also spoke to Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 8-10, a well-known passage that we know, but consider it again, considering Peter's words. In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast.
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This faith, this saving grace that the Lord has extended to us, has given us. These good works that are in Christ, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. This is what we're created for. Beloved, we are the chosen ones of God, saved by grace through faith, called to do what we are created in Christ to do, namely to walk in good works, to walk in godliness. Peter says that we must be diligent to add things to our faith, add godly traits in our lives, which is really evidence of the Spirit's work in our growth and sanctification. Now notice how Peter teaches us that these additions are layered and connected one to the next. And some scholars admittedly will say that this is not necessarily to be understood or interpreted as specific layered connections, as I just mentioned. But more as the broader picture of growth in the Christian life, the broader picture of how we should walk and what should be present in that walk. But I do think that as we look at these words and as we look at the connections and the way that Peter writes these things, that we do see a very wonderful connection in even how they fit into this broad and glorious picture. So Peter's message is similar to Paul's instruction to the saints in Rome as well in Romans chapter 5. As he spoke to the benefits of our justification by faith. In Christ. Look at Romans 5, verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that. Tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. It's a glorious hope that is built and grounded in our justification. Such a glorious hope that is built upon and is a fruit flourishing um, from these rock-solid truths and the work of God in and for us. But similarly here, Peter drives home to us today that as we've been freed from the corruption, remember that's where he left off in verse 4, as we've been freed from the corruption and the lust, as we've been given precious, highly valued faith, as a gift. We now need to add and connect specific things to it as we walk rightly before God. We literally need to supply what is needed to accomplish a grand objective that God calls us to. And as we look at the order of the virtues listed in today's text, see that it emphasizes faith and love. If we were to look at them all and kind of encapsulate them all, we would see these two things, faith and love. 
faith is listed first, because without true faith, we can't be holy. And love is listed last, because it is both our final goal and the virtue that must undergird all the others. And notice that Peter then begins with virtue. Now, what is virtue? What is a biblical understanding of virtue? How should we see this? It's, it's being upright. It's walking with moral excellence. It's having strength and courage to stand up for good works and abound in them. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And that moral excellence, beloved, Peter says, is connected to knowledge. Peter has emphasized the essential benefits of knowledge and our growth in it already, hasn't he? Every believer must pursue knowledge and wisdom as they help guide us in our duties and give us that sense of wonder at the beauty and the awesomeness of God. Psalm 9, verse 10. We read, and those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. <laughs> Again, such a wonderful work and the gift of knowledge that the Lord gives us. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. In verse 6, Peter goes on to add to this list. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. So we are to add self-control to knowledge, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember Galatians 5. To our, and we're to add that to our day-in and our day-out Christian living. And we must be sober and use moderation in our love to and use of the good things of this life. That's really what he's pointing us to and teaching us in this self-control. Again, what do we see in the big picture? Faith and love. Faith and love. And so this self-control is manifest in this sober, this alert-mindedness. We're not in a stupor. We're in a sober-mindedness and use of moderation in our love and the use of it in the good things of this life. You know, Paul painted the same picture about the essentials of the Christian life to Titus, didn't he, in Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 14, uh, excuse me, 11 through 14, if you would. You can turn with me to Titus 2, beginning in verse 11. Titus 2, beginning in verse 11, there we read, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, here are the wonderful words of the gospel, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, 
who are what? Zealous for good works. Because we have been freed from the corruption, beloved. Because we have escaped the lust of the world by Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how we must now live in good works. And so notice how Paul and Peter, they both, they, they call us to this. They teach us this. And they say, do this, have this commitment, have this zeal for this. And this is what it's to look like. This is what is honoring and pleasing to God. This is what your lively faith should look like. As you walk rightly before him. Peter says that endurance and godliness must be evident in our walk, doesn't he? We're committed for the long haul, knowing that there will be ups and downs. Knowing that there will be opposition against us. But we press on in reverence and love toward God. As well as, look at verse 7. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Love of God. Love of neighbor. Peter's words here point us back to what he said in his first epistle. In 1 Peter 1, verse 22. When he said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. There should and must be, my friends, evidence and growth in godly affection in the family of God. That must be true. There needs to be growth. In the family of God. The Christian life is not a stagnant life. The life of the church is not a stagnant life. We're growing and being grown and nurtured and matured in grace. So what will be true of these things? As they are evident and growing in our lives. Look at verse 8. We see that Peter speaks of the fruit of the knowledge of Christ. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget, beloved, never forget that God gives the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in exceedingly great and precious promises of the gospel. As Peter taught us in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter. God gives us this knowledge, not that it would be like a barren tree that has no fruit. No, quite the opposite. Right? Beautifully. Quite the opposite, that it would bear much fruit and bring about real and growing holiness within us. <clears throat> this is what is true. This is the fruit. That's the knowledge of Jesus. It bears fruit in us. He brings about the good fruit in us. Remember and, and be encouraged about Jesus' explanation of this being true in the parable of the sower. 
and the word sown in the good ground, if you remember that parable, or look back at Mark chapter 4, verse 20, if you want. Mark chapter 4, verse 20, we read there, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundredfold. What is, the, what is true when the, the word is sown and heard and accepted in Christ's people? It bears glorious fruit. It bears glorious fruit. Christ said in John 15, verses 7 and 8, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. True disciples of Christ are those who are not perfect by any means. But they are those who seek to be faithful and growing in grace and being obedient and growing in their knowledge of their Savior and their Lord, the one who loves us to the end loves us far more deeply than we could ever imagine. That we grow in that. We grow in our relationship with Him. And He brings about this wonderful fruit in us. For His glory. Notice. By this, the Father is glorified. Hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you will be my disciples, He says. So now, how does Peter describe the contrast of this? Because he, he does. He provides a contrast that we would better see what he had just said. Right? And the picture that he had just painted of this glorious fruit, this tree that's not bearing, but is fruitful. What is true of those believers in whom these things don't abound in, and they are more like a barren and lacking tree? Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. My friends, Peter shows us the result of giving in to the corruptions of our flesh. Giving in to and entertaining and walking in sin. Going into the playground of darkness, staying there for a while. And even, as Peter's going to move into later on in this epistle, entertaining false teaching. What is the result? A lack of spiritual growth. A lack of fruit. A lack of spiritual discernment. And struggle with assurance as to what Christ has done in freeing and cleansing us from our sins. You know, some of you may struggle with some of these very things. Some of you may struggle with assurance of your salvation, or have done so in the past, or maybe you know somebody who is or has. Considering our struggle with sin, how can we know that we are saved? How can we have assurance of our salvation? 
Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, section 4, really helps us with this. As it makes the truth from Scripture very clear and succinct when it says, True believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted, as by negligence in the preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God? Hear this tonight. Yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ, this is what Peter's talking about, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived. And by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from under despair. So hear that and be comforted. Because you or others may at various times have your assurance shaken. But yet the truth remains. The truth remains that you are supported from utter despair. That your assurance is really there in Christ as you belong to Him. And it will in due time be revived. Therefore, though, because this is true, because we have the call from God, as Peter taught us, to grow in holiness, because there is struggle and battle to that growth, what must we do? Well, he says in verse 10, make your call and election sure. Make your call and election sure. He says, therefore, brethren, because these things are true, even be more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Believers, my friends, have the responsibility of growing in godliness, growing in holiness, so that we would enjoy the assurance of our salvation. The Lord is also at work in giving us that comfort. And so in order to make your call, your being brought out of darkness into Christ's marvelous light, by his word and power, as well as your election, your being chosen by God before the foundation of the world, in order to make that sure, or in other words, to have more clarity about it, there are two things to keep in mind. The assurance of our call and election come by these two things. First, what well, I'll say overall, maybe even to get the broader picture, evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in us and the internal testimony of the Spirit within. But first, in the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit's work in us in godliness and love, we see this. Consider John's words in John in 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Remember, John spoke in, in very stark contrast, black and white. You're either children of God or children of Satan, children of light or children of darkness. But he says in this, the children of God and the children of, God, of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. 
verse 14. For we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Again, back to Peter's words, faith and love. But there is also, secondly, the internal testimony of the Spirit in our hearts. Consider Paul's words to the Galatian churches in Galatians 4.6 when he said, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And the universal fatherhood of God does not exist. It's not a true teaching. Only the children of God can call God Father. We cry out because of the Spirit of the Son working in our hearts. We cry out to Him, Abba, Father. There is the internal testimony of the Spirit in our hearts. And so as we do and discern these things, Note Peter's comfort that we will have well-grounded assurance that we will never finally fall away from Christ. And look at verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My friends, God's promise of salvation is to those with genuine, persevering, truly precious faith And God gives us a rich reward of his grace in his kingdom. And so we see life now. And we see the promise of what is yet to come. And what he will do. So I'll leave you with this. Again, the Christian life is not a stagnant life. Never be fooled into thinking it is. Christians aren't called to be lazy, but holy. Having received God's call, be diligent each and every day of your life to seek to walk worthy of your calling. Be diligent to pursue holiness. Be diligent to show your faith to be a lively faith as you press on by the grace and work of the Spirit. To grow in godliness, to to bear good fruit as you do the good works that you were created in Christ to do. For as you are diligent in this life, God will encourage you, and you will enjoy the assurance of your calling and election. Calvin said this, and I think it's helpful to remember. Purity of life is not improperly called the evidence and proof of election. Purity of life is not improperly called the evidence and proof of election. I think that's helpful to remember, considering Peter's words. But also, take comfort and praise God for the assurance that you can enjoy in this life along with the royal reception that you will enjoy in glory and the riches of his favor and his love forever. For this is his promise. And he will keep his promises. Even as we heard this morning, right? His promises are yea and amen in Christ. So therefore, take heart, beloved. The journey is difficult. The days are hard. But your Christ, your Lord, is there. He is at work. And he has made exceedingly great and precious promises to you. Trust him. Love him. Grow in the knowledge of him.